0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. Over the span of 50 years, Charles Schultz created a comic strip that's one of the indisputable glories of American popular culture. Hilarious, poignant, inimitable. Some 20 years after the last strip appeared, the characters Schultz brought to life in Peanuts continue to resonate with millions of fans. Their four-panel adventures and television escapades offering lessons about happiness, friendship, disappointment, childhood, and life itself. In a new collection, The Peanuts Papers, 33 writers and artists, including Ira Glass, Nan Patchett and others, reflect on the deeper truths of Schultz's deceptively simple comic, its impact on their lives and art, and on the broader culture. Today in Access Utah, we're going to talk with collections editor Andrew Blauner. Andrew Blauner, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and uh, so if people don't know, Andrew Blauner, you are a literary agent, also a editor of uh, several previous anthologies.
1: Uh, that's true. I guess I'm uh, moonlighting, in a way. My my uh, day job, as it were, is as a literary agent representing writers and their books. And then as these really, truly labors of love pet projects, I put together these anthologies, these collections on themed uh, subjects, typically on topics that are near and dear to me, and nothing fits that description more than peanuts.
0: Uh, so I understand you got to meet Charles Schultz. So this was yeah. the, the last year of his life. How did that come about?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't realize how unusual and surreal and special it was going to be, and it was um, at the time. I first wrote to him in 1996, uh, In actually in my capacity as a literary agent, representing another anthology called Our Mother's Spirits. It's a collection of men writing essays about their mothers and the death of their mothers. And I'd seen an interview with Schultz, who was sort of well-known to be very stoic, um, but when he got to the subject of his mom, uh, he got quite emotional and and something resonated there so i just thought i'd take a flyer and take a chance and or not even take a chance just why not write to him on behalf of my client whose name was bob Lowner, strangely not a relative asking if if mr schultz would consider writing an essay about his mom for bob's collection and it was long it was before the internet or email and one day i saw a letter from i think the address was 1 snoopy way and i thought that's nice he had an assistant at least write you know a polite uh, form letter and yet, sure enough, it, instead, he, it was a declination. I mean, he, did, he, as politely as humanly possible, said, thank you, but no thanks to writing for that book. But something to the effect of, if you ever find yourself in Santa Rosa, California, please stop by, it'd be great to meet. And I thought, I'm calling that bluff, like if that's what it is, I'm, I'm going to plan a trip uh, to happen to be in Santa Rosa, California. And it took about two years or so, but come 1999... Um, there I was uh, in his ho- in his office uh, just uh, uh, sitting there ch- chatting for a better part of an afternoon and so on some level the seeds of this book were planted there and that's you know a little bit more than twenty years ago and we kept in touch yes in the last year of his life sort of brief kind of pen pal relationship
0: what what was he like
1: gentle kind um, quiet uh, <laughs> everything that um you know, you read about, but kind of almost, not cynically, but thought, how how could he be insecure? How could he be uh, some of the things he was known to be? And yet, he was. He just, um, he was grateful for what he had. And he, um, you know, he had strong points of view, though. And he, you know, he didn't want anyone drawing the strip after he kept doing it. If you suggested an idea, that was almost a surefire way that he was not. If you said, oh, well, you should do a strip where Linus and Lucy are doing such and such, that everything had to come from him. But my experience of him was unconditionally uh, was of a man who was just kind and generous and sweet. I still have no idea to this day why he took that meeting and took that time, but I'm, I'm so grateful. Mm.
0: Uh, it, it seems like he, he's bound up in the strip, the strip's uh, bound up in him. In fact, um, almost incredibly, mm. uh, I remember the, the, the there was an announcement, the strip's going to end, hads health problems, and mm. almost immediately on the heels of that, uh, we, we learned of his death.
1: Well, you either did have great researchers or did great due diligence, or you just are a fan and, you know, remember everything, because that's exactly right. Um, there was something to the fact that throughout the course of his life, or at least career, he said... I am the strip, and the strip is me. I'm not Charlie Brown. I'm not Snoopy. I'm sort of everything. I have to say, I say through the strip. People wanted him to write, you know, memoirs and books of his own, and op-ed pieces, and take positions on things. And so, yes, he was uh, inextricably linked with the strip and it with him. And so, yes, exactly as you put it, he he because of his health, he decided he, he announced he was going to stop doing the strip. And within, depending what market you were in. The, Within 24 hours of when the final strip was published, he died. As if something cosmically, karmically was at play there. Do
0: hmm. you think that contributes to the uh, I don't know the the hmm. universal nature of that? He I mean, he didn't he didn't explain the strip, right? The strip uh, stands on its own.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, he was. Uh, you asked me what he was like. I found him to be utterly unpretentious um, and authentic. Um, and I would write to him and, you know, I'd see the announcement for the Pulitzer Prizes and I'd see that there'd be one for political cartooning. And I'd write to him and say, hey, you know, don't you think there should be a Pulitzer for people who do what you do? And he'd say, you know, thanks, but I'm I just I'm happy to do what I do and be left alone and keep quiet. Now, some people would say that's a shame because somebody, you know, they used to say Michael Jordan or others, you know, didn't use their platform for for good of society. He didn't see it as his job. He knew he was making a contribution to the world, but he was mostly just doing uh, what he loved from the time he was quite young. And, uh, um, you know, he started out with no leverage, no power, so much so that he, it's also sort of a relatively well-known story, he intensely disliked the name Peanuts. He thought it was sort of demeaning, and he didn't choose it, but he had no uh, authority when the syndicate initially chose it, and sort of foisted it on him.
0: Well, why did they choose peanuts? Do we know?
1: I think the backstory is: I think it was initially going to be called Lil Little Folks or Little Something, and there was there was too. They decided there was too much out. Lil Abner, and there was maybe another strip with Lil in it. And so, uh, I I think the story I remember reading was that I guess on the Howdy Doody show um, there was something called the Peanut Gallery, and uh, somehow it derived from that. But you know now. Now, I think a lot of us just sort of feel like, well, that's the right name for the strip, just because we're so used to it and it's so beloved. But he, he almost refused to say it. He just would say, if you know if somebody said, who are you or what do you do, he would just say, oh, I draw a comic strip with Charlie Brown uh, and his dog and, and, and some other kids. But he would have been just as happy, if not much happier, to just call the strip Charlie Brown um, or any almost anything other than Peanuts. Mm.
0: Uh, of course, uh, uh, peanuts. The the strip uh, was I don't know what the figures are, but it was you know nationwide, it was worldwide, right? Um, millions Absolutely. and millions of people were reading this.
1: Uh, the, the 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 numbers are are awe inspiring and almost almost impossible to believe. Three hundred fifty five million people reading it. I think at its peak, twenty six hundred plus newspapers carrying it. And again. 50 years of this, as someone, I think Robert Thompson is a professor at Syracuse, I think, said it's the longest-running story ever told by one individual, because in a sense, it is one story that he was telling over the course of 50 years, and yes, translated it to dozens of languages through, throughout the world, and then obviously for a lot of people, the Gateway was the, uh, were the holiday TV specials, but, you know, some people... I think once you, if you if you were weaned on the TV specials, you had the characters' voices in your head, so that sort of took away from the purity of the strip in some sense. But to your point, it was absolutely a transcendent, uh, and not just in this country by any stretch of the imagination, um, phenomenon.
0: I don't know if you um, you know talked to him about this or if, if you've seen uh, what did he make of that the the extreme popularity the, the it, it, it touched a nerve with so many people.
1: Yeah, he you know it, it, he seemed to be funny in the sense like he he knew he had made a contribution and had talent, but you know if the flattery got too much, it seemed like it was almost like a thermostat that shut down. He'd say, "But I'm not a I'm not." A, he'd always say like, "I'm not Andrew Wyeth." Um, you know, if you said, he you would just say, "I'm a, I'm a I'm a cartoonist. It's what I do." And and. Um, you know, the themes, it's, it's, people like to say there's, it's, decept- it's a deceptively complicated strip where there's a paradox on some level, both in the artistry of it and the characters in the story. There's some levels on which it's straightforward and simple, and there are other ways in which it's very deep and complicated. And, um, you know, there's a strain of an argument of, was it actually dark uh, or was it, as Chris Ware, who's in the book, said, it was just real, in it, but it was arresting in a way to a lot of people, especially because it was populated exclusively by children. Um, and I think someone put it that, you know, up until Peanuts, most comic strips were uh, populated by grown-ups who acted sort of like children. Here were children who had some very grown-up ways of, of thinking and talking and experiencing life, and, and so much of the lives that they experienced about um, how life can be hard and perseverance is required, and but happiness and joy can be found in in small pleasures, and there's a lot of unconditional love, and you know, uh, but I don't think he had any uh, aspiration for it to become what it became, and I don't think he had any um, anticipation that it would. Mm.
0: What, uh, you're a fan, right? You, you, you know, love the love the strips. What, uh, what did you, what did you take? why, why did you keep coming back?
1: Well, it's funny. You, you know, you said it sort of as a rhetorical statement, which makes sense. But I, I know there are people who do certain kinds of work, and they're not necessarily fans. They just you know put together books or do certain things just because they think they'll sell or they're good ideas. And I have no, I have no skill or ability to do that. That this is born complete. You know, as are my other. Collections be it about uh, the Beatles or baseball or Central Park or coaches, but uh, here you know I was I had my plush Snoopy and from the time I was probably the same age my son is, who's five, who has a Snoopy pillowcase uh, on his bed, and um, I think I was one of those people who did start with the holiday uh, TV specials, and you know I didn't intellectualize it at all as a little kid, uh, as far as analyzing or understanding what I was connecting with but you know there's a piece in the book by Rick Moody um, that speaks for I think a lot of people who you know were endeared by it and charmed by it and connected with it when they were kids and then it sort of went away and it's when you start having kids of your own uh, that there's a new portal into it and it's it can be again the same with the Beatles or Frank Sinatra or baseball or whatever you whatever it might be um, that you now experience it through you know your child's eyes or heart um, you know, the melancholy aspect of it, which was part of, part and parcel of Schultz's personality and life, and that's well-documented. My friend David Michaelis wrote a phenomenal book called Schultz and Peanuts, um, which, you know, uh, extensively documented that Schultz experienced a lot of depression or melancholy was always the word. And, um, you know, I, I think part of the explanation for why, you know, 33 people Chose to write about this subject twenty years after Schultz has died, seventy years after the strip started. You can't do all that if it's something is just sort of warm and fuzzy and cuddly. There's got to be kind of a, a profundity to it, right? So, um, and there was and there is for me. I think about it all the time.
0: Uh, and you said Schultz said, "Well, I'm no Andrew Wyeth, right?" But but mm-hmm. there, is, you know, the, the fact that contributors in this book um compared the strip to uh to Chekhov to Brando they they, they compare it to Haiku uh right. and and uh I'm I'm reading this and it's it's not ridiculous to me I mean it, it there there's a connection there that you, you recognize there's a universality there
1: right yeah I don't think anybody I've never heard anyone although maybe it's a self-selected group I <laughs> around I surround myself with but Uh, You know, Adam Gopnik, I think, has the first piece in the book, and he's the one who sort of uh, invokes Chekhov. And, uh, you know, it's just funny. It's just, there's just something, you know, I was watching part of the impeachment, not to wade into politics, but, um, you know, Bill Clinton and Ronald Reagan, I don't know how much they could agree on, but they were, and, and Obama actually as well, were huge Peanuts fans. There's just something that sort of cuts through what otherwise... It's not a matter of polarizes us, but just divides us, or that we can't agree on. But even within the Peanuts fans, like Adam Gopnik in the book and Peter Kramer, who's also in in the anthology of the Peanuts Papers, you know, have different opinions of what you know whether or not Lucy was a very good therapist, a psychiatrist, after all. Um, but you know, some people don't like uh, what Adam and others do of sort of elevating Peanuts into. Uh, it's not just into literature, but just sort of uh, taking it to a place that maybe Schultz himself wouldn't have. But that's how that's how we read it. That's how we experience it.
0: Yeah, what, once it's out in the world, then we take it as we will, right?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I can't. Like, that's that's as that's putting it as well as anybody could, exactly.
0: Uh, including uh, many nations around the world. This, uh, the, and and you could you know you could guess that this would this would translate well. These are universal themes.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, there there would be an occasional reference to something kind of uh, quintessentially or endemically American, I guess. But otherwise, you're 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 right. I mean, the themes again start with unconditional. Uh, well, there was unconditional love too, but there was unrequited love uh, everywhere you looked. The Charlie Brown and the Redheaded Girl, and uh, Lucy and Schroeder, and Sally and Linus, and you know, as far as I know, that exists uh, throughout the world. As does um, you know affection for our our pets and friendship and you know I mean speaking of pets I mean there's a there's a it's not a debate but there's a, a different a, a difference of opinion about sort of Snoopy's role as the as the strip evolved I mean a lot of people the the consensus is probably the heyday of the strip was in the 1960s and the turning point of the strip was when Snoopy got up on two legs that he stopped sort of just crawling around like a dog uh and then there's another population of people who think it became too much about him. And there's even a piece in the book by Sarah Boxer uh, all about Snoopy's narcissism. So um, I think, you know, they're probably slightly different conversations or reads or debates in different parts of the world or in different parts of this country. Um, but again, it's just, it's I don't know anything else that lasted as long as this did that continues to... Um, resonate the way this does. It begs this question, I mean, the people have likened this to Mr. Rogers, Mr. Fred Rogers, and there's sort of a renaissance. I mean, I don't know if this is a sort of a new Peanuts moment that we're in. Uh, there's a new production of uh, Your Good Man Charlie Brown that's going starting around the country this year, which is the most produced uh, uh, musical piece of musical theater in history, and there have been something like 40,000 productions of it. Uh, there's a new you know, Peanuts app. I mean, I I just don't know whether I don't, genuinely don't know if there's been a renaissance, and if so, for what reason? Does it have, to have something to do with the values of you know Fred Rogers and Charles Schultz, who were two guys from the Midwest with good values? And is there something unconscious at play that's sort of drawing us more toward that, given the climate we're in? I don't I don't know, but. Uh, I just don't know whether there has ever been a lull or a lag, and I keep coming back to comparing it to things such as the Beatles, um, that you know they never fade away, but they just sort of seem to spike or resonate in certain ways at different points in time for different people.
0: Well, let's take a break. Uh, we're talking with Andrew Blauner. He's editor of a new collection. It's called The Peanuts Papers, 33 Writers and Artists. I'll uh, uh, speak about the deeper truths of Charles Schultz's deceptively simple comic, Peanuts, its impact on their lives and art and on the broader culture. And uh, we'll have uh, um, the editor, Andrew Bonner for the hour. You uh, are welcome to join this conversation by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. There's much more following this break.
2: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Herald-Journal. Your in-depth source of local Cash Valley news delivering local, state, and national news directly to your home. Offering online and U.S. mail newspaper delivery. Information at hjnews.com or at 752-2121.
1: In their opening statements in the impeachment trial, White House lawyers criticized both the legal grounds of the case against the president and the case itself.
0: The facts and evidence of the case the House managers have brought exonerate the president.
1: They have one more day to present their defense before questioning begins. Join us for special coverage of day seven of the Senate impeachment trial from NPR News.
2: Tune in this morning starting at 11 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, We'll hear songs of peace and understanding by artists from all over the globe as we honor John F. Kennedy's immortal peace speech and the organization he founded in 1961, the Peace Corps. The people of this country are anxious to see a world in peace. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for World Peace, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about the beloved comic strip Peanuts uh, and Charles Schultz, the uh, creator. Uh, there's a new anthology out. It's called The Peanuts Papers. Uh, 33 writers and artists reflect on the deeper truths of Schultz's deceptively simple comic, its impact on their lives and art and on the broader culture. We're talking with the editor, uh, Andrew Blowner. So Andrew Blowner, um, you may or may not know, uh, one of Schultz's daughters, uh, Amy, lives in Utah. Um, I was reading uh, an article uh, just from a couple of years ago in the, the desert news local paper here. Um, she remembers she highlights his decency. She, she says that's the one reason she thinks the the, the peel of her father's uh, strip. And she tells this story. She says I distinctively remember walking into the room where he'd be in the middle of drawing a strip. He'd be would immediately stop drawing. And, uh, his availability led her to conclude he didn't have a job when she was, <laughs> when she was
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. My son wandered in where I was working last night and he said, <laughs> I, I wonder if he understood that what I was doing was part of a job. But, uh, I didn't know that Amy, uh, lives in Utah now. I should have, but, and you, that's, a, that's a perfect word. Decency, uh, is as good a word as any, but, uh. Um, you know, I, I, who knows? But I think she'll seem to be the kind of person who, if he just was allowed to do what he did, and the reception was nothing remotely close to what it was, he was just doing what he loved. And I, I, I can't speak for him, but uh, whether he enjoyed, you know, the, the worldwide—I I, don't—I don't think he wanted any part of the fame. But whether we all want some sort of validation or affection or admiration. Um, you know, it was just inspiring to me, uh, who he was and how he lived.
0: Uh, Amy goes on to say that she, she never heard heard her dad swear uh, in his mm-hmm. life. Uh, the word he would use is rats. She says, yeah. and that's, that's a, that appears in the strip. That's what <laughs> Charlie Brown says.
1: Exactly. He just, when I was with Schultz, he probably not the first or last time he said it, but he said he doesn't believe in. I just it always stuck in my head that he said ugly words and he meant curse words, swear words. Um, that he said basically that rats and good grief, uh, you know, should cover and good grief, you know, he obviously used and his characters used in, in all kinds of ways. But, um, but yeah, and I, you know, it's sort of it's something that I've heard people kind of, uh, you know, brush a shot, br- brush aside, or characterize as being I don't know whatever say Prudish or whatever. But I, I, you know, as someone who works in publishing and with writers and writing, there's a lot of that that resonates with me. I think you know, language matters a lot. And uh, in addition to everything else, I, I absolutely positively respect the fact that, um, um, that he spoke and wrote that way. And uh, I don't remember this, but I assume he also probably, probably didn't drink and, uh, um, you know, just tried to live the uh, life of a decent human being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his, I think his religion sort of evolved, uh, his spirituality evolved uh, as, as, as time went by, but I think he was always a decent human being.
0: There's certainly uh, issues of, of faith in in peanuts, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, especially Linus, who's um, yeah. uh, in whom you know <laughs> the, the intellect is there, but also uh, the questions of faith and the the great pumpkin and, and
1: exactly, yeah, that's that's the sort of quintessential manifestation of it, I guess, which engenders people thinking, well, was that, you know, was there some symbolism? Was it you know blind faith in some higher power, or was he just? A kid who just wanted to believe in the same way, you know, we want to believe in whatever, the Easter Bunny or the Fairy or Santa or what have you. Um, uh, But, you know, Linus, yeah, he was the philosopher king. And actually, another thing Schultz said, uh, not to me, but just in an interview somewhere on Earth, that someone asked him, like, if the characters were real and they grew up to be grown-ups, you know, who would sort of be the most... Get the exact word, but well adjusted or successful or whatever. And he said, sort of without uh, missing a beat, that he thought it was Linus, which I think surprised a lot of people because people would think well, Linus was way too, what, sensitive, if nothing else. Um, but yes, the, the, the elements of, of uh, uh, faith and spirituality, and uh, again, there, there's a stoicism to Schultz in his life, and, and you know, w- one of the surprises to me in putting this book together was how much affection and admiration and connection there is out there for Charlie Brown um, himself, uh, who I think other people think, whoa, he was just kind of depressed or uh, I can't stand the word loser but you know I, I saw someone apply that once and, and instead a lot of people I mean again maybe it's a self-selected group but people in the book sort of really identified uh, with him but you know I guess that's part of the peeling the onion I mean people also really thought Lucy was a, uh, a strong independent sort of ahead of her time uh, a very young woman um, and a lot of people had a lot of respect uh, for her and connection with her. So um I don't know where we go from there.
0: Um uh, uh, the, there is um well one thing I think maybe we would want to to have have had Schultz do is to uh, manufacture happy endings. But that's part of the power of the strip. He never did that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um that's also a great point. Yeah, uh, some I, I remember reading somewhere someone asked him, can't you just let uh, Charlie Brown kicked the football once, but did right. not have Lucy pull it away. And that, by the way, was, I think Ronald Reagan was on record saying that was his favorite aspect of, uh, of of all of Peanuts, was that sort of running gag, which Schultz said, you know, I think, I don't know what year that actually made its debut, but I, I remember reading somewhere that it lasted for about 40 years. So, I mean, that's that's a challenge in itself to sort of create. I mean, I think after a while we all sort of got the feeling that, Know, she was going to pull, pull the ball away, but you know, again, to your point, maybe not. Maybe we have sort of some, whether it's sort of unwarranted, but sort of faith or confidence or hope, uh, cockeyed optimism that maybe you will. But Schultz would just say it wouldn't be funny then, and it, and I guess for him it wouldn't be. Um, again, I, I don't know what word he would have used, but it just didn't feel real to him. Uh, that that uh, there's a lot of cruelty in the world, and and if somebody was like Lucy, would always pull the ball away. Yes, you'd love to believe that at some point <laughs> she would she would let him kick. But no, I mean there were probably other tropes uh, mm-hmm. like that. I mean Charlie Brown's baseball team almost always lost, and he couldn't fly a kite. There were all kinds of sort of almost parables like that.
0: Right? Uh, I think we all have times where we say, "Oh, good grief!" Right? It's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> or Charlie Brown leaning his head against the tree. Um, right, and, and the, we
1: uh, have it in the publishing yeah. business where you know you're just trying to get good work by uh, good writers and good stories told, and sometimes you can't, you just can't uh, get past the gatekeepers, and and uh, uh, then we, but but there almost always is a happy ending because you know there are so many ways to get books published, and in this case, I, I, I actually I'm glad this came up because I buried the lead here. I'd be woefully remiss not to mention the publisher of this book is Library of America. Yeah. In my view, not just arguably the the best publisher in the country, but really a cultural institution. Um, speaking of cultural uh, institutions, and I, I encourage everyone to to seek out other books by Library of America. So that's my brief editorial for my publisher.
0: Yeah, Library of America. That's 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 big that this book is being published by Library of America. It
1: it's it's you know it it was it was. A, it, it was uh, you can hear I'm sort of speechless about it even years later. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe my good fortune, and it's just been a, a great experience. But more than that, and in addition, it does speak to, it's not the kind of book, the kind of topic that on the surface they usually would publish, but it's because, not just because it was a really popular comic strip, but that, that Schultz was a great American artist, and that's... Uh, that's what Library of America celebrates, among other things, right. and and the fact that the book is comprised of, um, you know, in addition to some cartoonists themselves who write exceptionally well, it's some of the best writers uh, in the country who, after all these years, are still, you know, Ann Patchett, uh, like a lot of people, I think, you know, the first writer she ever knew, per se, was Snoopy, and I think she basically says, without Peanuts, she probably would not have become a writer, hmm. so... Um, you just sort of extrapolate from there.
0: If you just joined us, we're talking about a new uh, uh, collection. It's called The Peanuts Papers. Thirty-three writers and artists uh, reflect on deeper truths of uh, Peanuts, Charles Schultz's uh, deceptively simple comic, its impact on their lives and art and the broader culture. We're talking with the editor, Andrew Blowner. Um, Umberto Eco uh, contributes Mm. a piece. Um... And I, I, we're on public radio here, so I'd be remiss without, uh, if I didn't mention Ira Glass. Ira Glass mm-hmm. talks about—he uh, uh, responds to Charlie Brown.
1: Well, right. Uh, again, one of the welcome surprises was how many people uh, responded uh, to Charlie Brown. But just to, to address your first point, uh, Umberto Eco, as many of your listeners know, um, is no longer alive, which is which signals to people that not 100% of the contributors to this book— uh, wrote original pieces and he wrote something uh boy I think it was originally in the New York Review of Books uh that was just on the subject uh and just too good to uh, not include as are about I think seven or eight of the 33 pieces are you know archived uh previously published work the other 24 25 26 uh, uh Iris is actually sort of a hybrid and I know Ira a little bit and uh um, he's obviously a, an American icon in his own right um, but, uh, you know, the, the part of the chore of putting this kind of book together is to have sort of a, a variety of points of view and demographics and perspectives. And if, if I had an apprehension going into it, it maybe was, uh, you know, everybody's going to write about Snoopy. And that was far from the case. Um, because you have people, uh, Gerald Early writes about the Vince Garaldi, uh, uh jazz, uh, the music, which, you know, plays such a huge part of the the TV specials. And, you know, some are sort of character portraits. And again, not just of the so-called major characters, but Alyssa Chappelle uh, writes her piece about Sally. I mean, Jennifer Finney Boylan writes about, well, sort of a, a collection of so-called outsiders and uh, Peppermint Patty and uh, Franklin and... Um, you know, it's it's much broader and much deeper than I think a lot of people realized.
0: Uh, by the way, Ira Glass says he he didn't find the the strip funny. Uh, he enjoyed. Oh, sorry,
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He, he, uh, he
0: no, no. I I wasn't saying. I was just uh, just go uh, appreciate you uh, uh, delineating those others. Uh, but I I just was wanted to go back to to that because that, that struck me. But but as I as I look on my enjoyment of the strip, um, you know, I'd laugh a lot, but I, I enjoyed it on many levels.
1: Such a, it's such an, uh, for lack of a better word, interesting point, provocative point. Because, again, talking about good grief and rats and language, you know, I mean, something's quote unquote funny. I, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked if I never laughed out loud at Peanuts, reading the strip or, or even watching the TV specials. That doesn't mean I didn't think it was funny or fun or all kinds of things. So when I read that Ira wrote that, I I didn't sort of blink. I, it doesn't it didn't surprise me, and it, it's not mutually exclusive with somebody um, appreciating it in, in, in different ways on different levels. But but uh, to me, Ira always has sort of an interesting, often different narrative or perspective on things. So I, I was really elated to have him in the book and his voice in it.
0: Uh, You mentioned earlier, I I want to make sure we talk about this, you mentioned earlier that um, the reason you reached out was this anthology on on, on mothers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And Schultz was very, uh, you know, very influenced by his mother, very affected by by her
1: death. Oh, for sure. I, I, I Probably not. Probably, probably definitely, the, the, the seminal event in in his life was his mother's death, and you know, there's just this poignant scene that I've just I can almost re-experience the first time I read it, and, and then much less when I heard him talk in that interview, which was was A&E biography, we, and he was he was going off to war, and and I guess she knew uh, how she felt and how, what was going to happen, and she said, "Well, Sparky," which is what you know everyone who was close with him at all called him. Uh, oh, God, I mean, I could almost get choked up thinking about it right now. She said, I guess we'll, I guess something like, I guess we should say goodbye. I guess we'll never, we may never see each other again. And, wow, I mean, I just think he, uh, I don't I don't want to ascribe, you know, trauma to him, but I just think it was a defining, seminal, profound uh, moment uh, only because, again, yes, that relationship was so uh, freighted and fraught uh, in, 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 in great ways, but, uh, you know, it was a, it was a terrible, terrible uh, loss for him. And so, you know, is it coincidental then that there's so much, if not loss, but sort of uh, difficulty, sadness, you know, things in the strip? Uh, there's not much death, um, but um, I don't know what else to say other than, <laughs> yes, I agree with you, and that was a. a, a I don't know what Amy or the rest of his family would say, but I can't imagine there was a more important event in, in his life. Um, and again, that book that, that eventually was published called Our Mother's Spirits, you know, is a chronicle, a, a, a tapestry of uh, all men writing about, uh, you know, again, a relationship, and with their mothers, which, you know, in some cultures is sort of verboten, and, uh, you know, there's something sort of unspoken about it, but... Uh, um, yeah.
0: Uh, I want to read this. Um, this is Bruce Handy uh, mm. writing about uh, Schultz. Uh, Bruce Handy says, What I took away from Schultz is that life is hard, people are difficult at best, unfathomable at worst, justice is a foreign tongue, happiness can vaporize in the thin gap between the third and fourth panel, and the best response to all of this is to laugh and keep moving, always mm. ready to duck. Mm-hmm. Um, which, would, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, it, and then I reflect on the fact that these are children. These are children who are who are saying these profound things, children who never get older. The, well, the, that's, the adults yeah. are off stage.
1: There's so much in what you just said alone, but Bruce Handy, who's the author of a, book, a great book called Wild Things, The Joy of Reading Children's Literature as an Adult, and he's, he's got a great many uh, uh, credits. But uh, And that line you just read, I think, was quoted in the New York Times review of, of this book. Um, it's almost... I don't know if I should say, if it could say this in good faith, but like, I was going to say you could almost forget that they are children, partly because you don't have anything juxtaposed to it. There are, somebody said, you know, the only person who's the only character whose parents ever appear in the strip are Snoopy's, and he's a dog. And, you know, obviously the riff of you hear the um, the teachers' or the parents' voices sometimes in the background is, I think it was Rick Moody in the book says, say, it's a great expression like trombone voices, wah, 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 you know, that thing we're all sort of familiar with. But, you know, uh, there's never anything explicit about how old those kids are, the kids are. Um, you know, I had a, a girlfriend once who said, uh, I don't understand why you like those depressed little children very much. And I thought, that, when she said it was a long time ago, I thought, I-, I didn't think of them as depressed, and I didn't even think of them as little children. And then I started reading, well, yeah, they're probably about four years old, but that doesn't resonate. For- I now Now having a five-year-old... That doesn't really make sense, but you know, n- neither is the fact that Charlie Brown has almost no hair. Um, but they don't—they don't think and act and talk like uh, any other children that I think any of us know. I mean, there's not just no parents; there's almost no furniture. I mean, they—they they live somewhere in suburbia. We don't know where. Um, but uh, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there was a, there was a show on TV called Wonderama. Uh, Saturday or Sunday mornings, and the theme song was Kids Are People Too, and I don't know, I think on some level, even when we didn't realize it, there was, as children, there was something about the strip, and again, the the holiday specials, that, that that, that made us feel more understood.
0: Uh, Let's go to another break. When we come back, our last segment uh, with Andrew Blounder. He's editor of a new anthology. It's uh, called um, The Peanuts Papers 33 Writers and Artists. Uh, It reflects on the deeper truths of Charles Schultz's deceptively simple comic, its impact on their lives and art and the broader culture. We'll have uh, more following this break.
2: Support for Project Resilience programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you in part by our members and USU Center for Persons with Disabilities working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. What does Utah Public Radio mean to you? You can answer that question by entering the annual UPR Art Mug Contest. We want to see your most creative interpretations and appreciations of UPR, our programming, or our station's home here in Utah. From now until Valentine's Day, we'll be accepting submissions, and then you'll all get to vote on your favorite design. The winner will be printed on this year's Spring Pledge Drive mug. For more details, go to upr.org. And to submit, just send your designs to me, katie.swain at usu.edu. Football gave my dad a life. On the next radio
1: lap. Brutality. Cult of manliness. Strongest, toughest
2: wins. Full on contact football at four. Kicking, there's biting, there's gouging. Yes, my son is a beast. No one seems to be stopping themselves from watching these games. You guys are playing like a bunch of. F- I'm like, whoa, they're four. They don't even know what that is. Football. In the next radio lab. Coming up this morning at 10 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access U-Time. Tom Williams, we're talking with Andrew Blowner. He's editor of a new anthology. It's called The Peanuts Papers. Um, and uh, many writers and artists uh, reflect on the deeper truths of Charles Schultz's deceptive comic, a simple comic, uh, Peanuts, which is uh, at its height was read by millions of people around the world. So Andrew Blauner, um I, I know in the, in the local paper here, Herald Journal, uh, every week at least they... They run peanuts. I mean, it, it still continues. I don't know, but with with decline of newspapers, I wonder what the the future of peanuts is going to be.
1: Another great question or uh, issue to raise. Uh, I mean, I live in New York City, um, where, to my chagrin, as much as I love the New York Times, and I do, they they uh, don't run any comics at all. Um, the, I think the Washington Post has never, from the uh, from the outset in 1950, has never stopped running peanuts. Um, as a, as a Sunday strip, at least. Uh, there's a little bit of a contentious debate about, you know, there's so many young up-and-coming uh, or sort of middle-career, mid-career artists, cartoonists, who could really use that precious real estate as long as, it li- as, long as it's around uh, instead of continuing to, you know, sort of recycle, they'll say, uh, peanuts, as opposed to the way I think of it, which is, you know, there, there are new generations who are just getting indoctrinated. But to your other point the sad decline of the print newspaper uh, you know I'll, I'll confess I don't I don't read uh, any comic strips online so I think if you're starting out today or anytime in the last whatever 10 20 years you're hip to the fact that that may be the way that a lot of your work is uh, experienced but you know what the future is for for peanuts uh, uh, digitally as opposed to in print I don't know I have a feeling that you know if we're all here 20 50 years from now we'll, we'll we'd still be talking about
0: it uh, some of the pieces in the anthology are very uh, quite touching. Uh, Kevin Powell, he says that uh, reading uh, peanuts uh, helped him escape, you know, at least temporarily from from his life of poverty growing
1: up. Yeah, um, Kevin Powell, uh, like many of the contributors of this book, uh, I, I think I counted the other night twenty one or so out of thirty three, or maybe twenty two out of thirty three, have actually voluntarily participated in you know promoting and publicizing the book with nothing to gain. From it, uh, other than continuing to want to tell their story, share their love. And Kevin, uh, probably more than anyone else, sort of had the most raw, visceral, personal, um, emotional um, experience with it. There's nothing uh, complicated in some sense or heavy handed. He just, you know, he had it rough, really rough, uh, growing up. And he found great solace and comfort and consolation. In the strip, I mean plain and simple, but he, he describes it in as you say, a very poignant, uh almost disarming in sort of how transparent he is about it.
0: Uh he he says that the 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 bit about the Lucy pulling the football away um he <laughs> he that stood that was stood as a metaphor for his life. can I escape mm. the ghetto? Mm
1: hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh yeah, I mean um you could employ all kinds of metaphors and analogies about you know the prisons or ghettos or traumas or things that we all have dealt with on different levels in different ways you know as part of growing up but uh, yeah Kevin had some abject uh, difficulties that he had to transcend and I admire him greatly but you know Lucy pulling the football away in the scheme of things you know, seems like a, a you know kind of a, a quotidian thing, but yeah, it was it was um, symbolic, I think, to a lot of people.
0: There's a fascinating piece in the book, um, and a pretty good get on on your part. You got Peter Kramer to write a, a piece on Lucy.
1: <laughs> uh, well, thank you, and you know, full disclosure, I know Peter's a friend, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, should I say this? Yeah, I think so much of Peter that I uh, he lives in Providence. I went to Brown University undergrad, and I think so much of Peter as not just a writer but as a thinker and as a therapist. I almost thought of moving back to Providence, Rhode Island to have him to ask him to be my therapist a long time ago. And I also thought of trying to option his first book, listening to Prozac to make uh, a film out of it. But he was he's a good example, and one of the few examples of people I went to for this book sort of hoping, harboring some hope that he'd take on a a particular aspect. And because he is a psychiatrist, in addition to a writer and a thinker and everything else, I was not so secretly hoping that he would write about Lucy and the psychiatry stand. And sure enough, he did. Um, So that was uh, a little bit of an inside job, but uh, but a a very satisfying one.
0: And he, as I understand it, one of the things he's saying is that uh, Lucy's, Brand of psychiatry is is not so far outside the, the mainstream.
1: Well, right. I, I think that the what's the expression? The low hanging fruit would be for a psychiatrist, of course, would would sort of dash Lucy's brand of psychiatry, which again, Adam Gopnik kind of does. I mean, he he. I think Adam wrote something to the effect of, "She's about the least qualified person to be a therapist he could think of," whereas Peter, uh, yeah, said, you know, the whole. Um, I, I, came up somewhere in the impeachment, actually, the snap out of it or uh, wake up. And, you know, I think a lot of people say that you call that psychiatry, you call that helpful or empathy or. Um, but, yeah, it was, I don't think Peter was being gratuitous or, or sly at all. I think he, he, he meant what he said. And, uh, you know, at five cents, uh, and Lucy didn't even have a sliding scale. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, that was uh, that was a real treat.
0: Yeah, I got five cents. Snap out of it is is probably get your money's worth, right? <laughs> I
1: don't know, sometimes you get
0: what you pay for. <laughs> that's right. I was remembering one of my favorite uh, bits, and th- this this was not just one strip, but uh, um, Lucy asks uh, Charlie, uh, "Do you prefer sunrise or sunset?" Mm. And uh, and then he he says sunset, and that of course that's the wrong answer. He he, <laughs> he uh, she, uh-huh. she she says, "I just can't treat somebody who." Who's a sunset person? She leaves, and and yeah. and the the in this particular strip that I pulled up, um, Charlie Brown the last uh, the last panel says actually I, all of us uh, sort of preferred noon.
1: <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, Charlie Brown had a great sense of humor in a way, even though he didn't realize it, and he you know in another way he was sort of a masochist. Uh, uh, but again, whether it's him kicking the football or Linus in the pumpkin patch, again is it sort of Blind faith and a certain kind of ignorance, or, or lack of accepting reality, or is it kind of a hopefulness that uh, you know that we could all, could all actually learn from or benefit from? But uh, um, but you know, Lucy. Some people point out Lucy. You know, she never really got her comeuppance in a sense, other than you know she always was trying to get Schroeder's attention, and he was in love with his with Beethoven, basically. Um, so. Uh, but again, as you pointed out earlier, Schultz was, did not concern himself with happy endings or tying things up in a bow. And I think on some very real level, that's, that's one of the secrets to its success.
0: Yeah, I think we can all relate, right? We, we've all, or most of us, have had an unrequited love. Yeah. And so Lucy yeah. for Schroeder, uh, Charlie Brown for The Little Red-Headed Girl. Exactly. It never gets resolved, and 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 uh, hopefully in our lives it does get <laughs> resolved, find <by laughs> someone. But, but right. we've we've all had that.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, even even I mean, Snoopy's trying to get published. It's not uh, unrequited love for another person, but you know, there's a lot that's so aspirational, and the aspirations don't always get met. But that's reality. And then other times, you know, there's just the, the Snoopy's dancing. I mean, there are other things that are just unconditional joy and happiness and the simple things in life that, that uh, you know, make us and some of the characters happy.
0: By the way, do you have a favorite character?
1: You know, if, if the person in my position is, seems to often say, oh, gosh, no, they're, they're all like children. I love them equally. I'm not saying that. No, Snoopy is my <laughs> character. <laughs> Snoopy. I, I do love them all in different ways, but there's a clear winner in my uh, book. And on the other side of the room where I am, I can see... Uh, Something that that symbolizes that, and uh, so that's that's.
0: Uh, well, uh, why why Snoopy? Snoopy what what is it about
1: Snoopy? Uh, you know, it, it's funny after all this time and all this time thinking about it, I couldn't actually tell you with any certainty. It would just feel like speculation that there's a certain, you know, whether it's an alter ego or um, uh, vicar- living vicariously uh, because of his the simplicity or the joy that he has in life, or his slyness, or his sense of humor, his freedom, his independence. Um, I don't, I really don't know. I just know, I feel it. And, and that has never gone away, and I just can't even contain, you know, sort of smiling about it in this moment. And, and again, when I see it in my son, it's, I'm 55 and he's five. And so uh, there's, some, there's a lot of common ground there.
0: Uh, there was at least one person in the book who uh, related to Sally we haven't talked Hmm. about her yet
1: Um, yeah uh, I think Alyssa Chappelle who was on the horns of a dilemma right to the last minute I think the other other piece she was going to write was going to be about Woodstock Um, but she chose Sally instead who's kind of I think in her mind sort of an underappreciated character or somebody who gets treated as if there's a certain superficiality to her and uh, but you know, again, talking about unrequited love. Uh, I mean, she has it bad for for uh, Linus, right? I mean, she's willing to sit in that pumpkin patch at least for a while. Um, but she's also uh, uh, Charlie Brown's sister, and you know, she's she, she's um, she's by I guess any standard a minor character. But I was. I was very happy that Alyssa chose to write about her, and just as some people, you know, there's, there's no single solitary piece about Franklin, but you know, people don't all understand that that you know he was kind of, a, a, a Schultz. There had never been, as far as I know, a, a black African American character in a, in a in a popular comic strip. Uh, a school teacher in 1968 or 69, I think, wrote to Schultz and said, given the state of the country and the culture and race relations. Wouldn't it be good to have a black character? And contrary to what I said sort of at the outset of this conversation, if you gave him an idea, it was almost a surefire thing. He wouldn't do it. Well, this he made an exception for. And because he read this letter, and I guess as he read the letter that I wrote to him, amid you can imagine how much mail he must have gotten. Um, But that was the impetus for him, including uh, Franklin. Um, You know, Peppermint Patty, some people conjecture that she was a lesbian. He never said it. Uh, but Marcy sort of followed her around or people sort of read into that. But, um, you know, again, this could have been more of a one-note monotone collection if everybody had just sort of waxed nostalgic about, oh, I used to have uh, uh, Snoopy paraphernalia as a kid or what Peanuts meant to me. But, you know, without my having to do much, I mean, editor is really a misnomer because when you have writers who are this good, it's really just trying to not, you know, you have to have the idea, but just not get in the way and not mess it up. And, and they just did a masterful job that that it is an anthology. And the root of the word anthology comes from, I think, the Greek or the Latin for a bouquet. And so this, you know, going back to that meeting with Schultz in 99, this was my best effort to sort of throw a bouquet to, to Schultz and his, the world that he created and the, the debt that we all owe him, I think.
0: Well, that's a good place to uh, end the conversation. We're out of uh, time. In any case, uh, Andrew Blouner is editor of a, a new collection, The Peanuts Papers, um, on the, uh, the, the wonderful uh, comic strip uh, that Charles Schultz created, uh, Peanuts. Um, Andrew Blounder, thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to be talking with retired USU professor Richard Ratliff. He's developed what he calls the theory of relationism, She hopes will help us bridge the many divides we're experiencing in our increasingly polarized society. We'll talk about uh, that. We'll also talk with former State Representative Ed Redd and former Logan City Councilman Herm Olson. They'll be talking about how they and others have successfully reached across the aisle to get uh, good things done. That's uh, coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the program today.
2: Project Resilience Programming on UPR is made possible by our members and The Family Place, offering parent support groups where caregivers can ask questions, get to know other caregivers, and exchange ideas that may help address the challenges of parenting on the third Tuesday of each month. Information at familyplaceutah.org. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanity and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.
0: User John Adams calls this four-wheel drive music and he says audiences can relax and just leave the driving to the musicians. It's 15 minutes of musical overdrive called Road Movies. Chad Hoops and Gloria Chen take the wheel on the next performance
1: today from APM.
2: This evening at 9 o'clock on Utah Public Radio.